0: Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction. Starring Score Baseball insider Bruce Levine and half of Chicago's number one sports morning show. David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670TheScore.com, a radio.com sports station presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook.
1: Good Saturday morning, Chicago. Welcome inside the clubhouse here on 670 The Score, broadcasting live from our Hyundai Score studios. I am David Haw along with Bruce Levine here until 11 o'clock, as we are every Saturday morning, talking baseball even as the work stoppage reaches its 80th day. Yeah, 80th day. How many more days do we have to put up with this? That's the question, the only question really that matters. Good morning, Bruce.
2: Good morning, David. I don't think too many more. Uh, I I believe this next week is uh, the time where finally both sides, the players and the owners, take each other seriously. Consider this, David. You just mentioned it. 80 days. Uh, since the lockout started on December 2nd when uh, Commissioner Manford announced it. And uh, he said at that time, this is being declared now so that we get, we sit down at the table and get a deal done. Until something like this happens, we won't get a deal done. Well, there's only been seven meetings, uh, probably a, a combination of maybe two hours total that these people have sat down and talked to each other. Finally, on Monday morning, in a place to be determined at this point, we haven't exactly been told where this is going to be at, uh, the owners and the players are going to sit down and sit until, hopefully, a deal is done. My sources uh, say that both sides have committed to at least Monday and Tuesday of a full schedule of meetings each day. Uh, That is... Progress doesn't mean we're getting a deal done by Wednesday, but uh, you know, a lot of other reports out there are saying that the two sides will sit and meet all week long. Uh, from what I understand, it's Monday and Tuesday, and they're going to try to hammer this thing out. Uh, well, hopefully, Bruce, they that's the case. They,
1: they better make some progress because I, I said coming in, the, the only question that really matters is how many more days we have to put up with this. Baseball can't ignore the other looming question, is, that is how long will fans tolerate this kind of nonsense and what effect it will have on their love for baseball? Will they stay away? And that's a question I think we want to ask our audience, 312-644-6767. What effect does this 80-day lockout, 80 days and running, uh, have on your feelings about baseball and your willingness and maybe uh, to to pay attention to go back to spend your money at ballparks in chicago when the cubs and Sox finally do play because they will and and when we we want to hear from you we also have a great show ahead bruce you know we have bob kendrick the president of the negro leagues museum coming up at the bottom of the hour it is black history month bob's a great talker and we look forward to talking with him we're going to talk to jared banner next hour the cubs vice president of player development and ken davidoff from the new york post who is got his finger on the pulse of all the negotiations out in new york But I wanna get back to what you said in your sources and you're talking to them, Bruce, because I think it's interesting. What can you tell us also about the inclusion of owners in this process and what effect that might have?
2: Right, Uh, you're gonna have up to eight owners uh, involved in this process. Uh, Some of them are on the executive committee uh, that are involved in the negotiations, but uh, you're gonna have a a, a ability to have these eight owners at at this meeting. So what does that mean to a a fan or someone that's listening on our show right now? And basically, it's about the ability of having decision-makers for Major League Baseball there as these negotiations take place to be able to go and caucus within the the meetings themselves, taking a timeout. We're taking a half-hour break. Both sides go into another room they, caucus, they talk about, well, I like this proposal by the players. They've come down $40 million on the, uh, the new bonus pool that they're asking for pre-arbitration players. Let's, uh, let's start meeting them halfway or along the way. We, there's a deal to be done here. So that is why these meetings should be taken seriously and looked at uh, seriously by baseball fans who hope that by the end of next week, Something is accomplished so that spring training can start and spring training games can start in the first week of March
1: Well, the first week of spring training games have been canceled. That was the formal announcement yesterday No surprise through March 5th. No spring training in Arizona or Florida and And I I look at that Bruce and I think that was uh, there was a sense of inevitability There also feels like there's a sense of inevitability despite what you you're saying and the optimism you're expressing You know, with the February 28th as being that kind of loose deadline, and I don't know how hard and fast it is, but if they don't – that's in nine days. In nine days, you were having to buy the idea that they're going to hammer out uh, this this agreement and opening day won't be delayed. Disastrous if games are missed. That's what I keep coming back to. Rob Manfred said it will be disastrous if games are missed. I still – I, I'm a pretty optimistic person. I, I think I try to find the positives in things most of the time. I'm struggling here because I go back and forth, and typically I find myself waking up this morning. I don't know that I'm buying the optimism that, that people tend to be selling. The urgency seems to be there. They're going back on Monday, but why hasn't the urgency been there earlier? That's what bothers me.
2: Because there's nothing that uh, they felt we were losing except for the optimism of the baseball fans out there. Okay, that's all they – have there was no money to be lost. Starting spring training games, there's money to be lost. Starting April 1st, okay, you have Max Scherzer who will lose $1 million, $1 million plus per week if there is a if there's no baseball. Okay. So why do I bring up Max Scherzer? Max Scherzer is going to make $43 million in 2022. 43 million. So you do the math, divide that by 26 weeks, and that's how much uh, Scherzer is losing every week. Why do I say Scherzer? Because it's always been in the past situations with uh, players and owners fighting over contracts, it's always been the big players, the big money players, that dictated when the players said enough. It's time to go back and accept this deal. And it's not going to be any different this time around. Who's going to tell Bruce Meyer, the negotiator for the Players Association? Who's going to tell Scott Boros it's time? It's the big players, the guys who make the most money. And that's really what I'm looking at here. The pressure on both sides to start losing money. That's what draws these people to the table right now. 616
1: texter bruce weighs in i'm about done with mlb not liking some of the changes being thrown out the game isn't what i used to love too expensive to watch and getting too hard to afford to go to see i get it a lot of people probably feel the same way let us know what you think 312-644-6767 bruce i want to get to the conversation molly and i had with david Sampson. a couple things that he said that stood out but i want to ask you this when you talk about the owners whether in person or just uh, contributing in a meaningful way, what has been the role as far as you understand it to be of, of Tom Ricketts and Jerry
2: Reinsdorf in these negotiations? Uh, not, I mean, just uh, very interested uh, owners, one of 30, but uh, neither one really, uh, you know, putting in, uh, you know, their, their time as far as executive council goes, neither one are on the executive council for the owners but uh, obviously as concerned as any of the owners in uh, Major League Baseball as far as uh, what they're going to give and what they aren't. I mean, they, they, we don't get reports on the owners' meetings. I can tell you from people I talk to, they are very well informed, just like the players are very well informed. Uh, the, the information for both sides is great. Unfortunately, we're not privy to those, uh, those meetings other than the fact of we hear the posturing from both sides. <laughs> The key this week, David, is to stop hearing hourly and daily reports and hear that they're negotiating and we don't know anything. When we don't know anything in particular, that's the time that they're negotiating to get a contract done.
1: I'm with you, Bruce. I think I've just had my common sensibilities offended a little bit by having two. The last two meetings lasted a total of 49 minutes, 34 minutes one day, and yeah. then 15 the next. That bothers me a little bit, but I understand that it's not always the length of the sessions. It's kind of the methodology and the the way that the course they 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 choose to go down, and that's why I you know I was curious yesterday when Molly and I talked to David Sampson and David Sampson is a former president of the Miami Marlins who now does radio and has a podcast and is very thoughtful and pretty, pretty, uh, pretty smart guy. And I wanted to know what you thought about two things that he said. So let's begin there because I'm curious what your opinion is when David Sampson addressed uh, this idea of getting too caught up in how long these sessions lasted.
0: Well, actually a lot got accomplished because the players showed where they are and they're trying to not, move yet because there's no actual deadline so it's really again not about the amount of time you actually stay at the table right now but as we head into next week and the week after then you're going to see longer sessions and you're going to see more frequent sessions because there's a real deadline in theory and we should talk about that but the real deadline of february 28th to have a deal done in order to start the regular season on time
2: david uh you know uh I think that um, Mr. Sampson is right, you know, uh, that what we're talking about right now is the fact that uh, when they look, – look, people think nothing's been accomplished. A lot of things have already been hammered out here. There was a report this week that uh, both sides have agreed upon expanded playoffs. That that report was uh, inaccurate, okay? But the, the owner's side wants 14 – teams involved in postseason. Uh, the players side will want it as well because of the fact that both sides will make a lot more money. So a lot of these things are already pretty much decided upon. The players won't agree to that until they have somewhat of the, the, uh, the situations for pre-arbitration bonus pool, uh, players being paid earlier, and a higher competitive balance tax given by the owners, uh, committed to. Once that's committed to, they're going to sign off on that. You're going to see the expanded playoffs. You're going to see the more money coming in. But my point is, many things have been agreed to already. These are the two main issues. The pre-arbitration bonus pool, young players getting paid between years one through three before they go to arbitration, and the competitive balance tax, which to the union is a soft cap on... uh, players salaries those are the two main issues that's what they're going to spend the lion's share of time talking about next week monday and tuesday when they have their meetings
1: and this was what david sampson had to say about those two main issues
0: what i think we're looking for is where there is movement in cbt and in arbitration that's the luxury tax threshold and in arbitration the players want more money going to younger players because they recognize that younger players are more efficient for owners, which is why younger players are getting more playing time, period. And the players want teams to spend more money on older players who don't really perform to that level anymore. So that sort of argument, give and take, is where you're going to see the majority of the negotiating. All the other stuff is just noise that really signifies nothing. So what I'm looking for is what level of compromise the owners have in terms of the luxury tax threshold and what level of compromise the players have in terms of the number of players who are eligible for arbitration and then the amount of money that goes to pre-arbitration players. So look for that next week. Look for movement. But again, the real underlying issue is is February 28th a deadline in their mind or only in our mind?
1: That was David Sampson on uh, Friday's Mully and Haas show giving us some of his insight and if, based on his experience as a president of the Miami Marlins, Bruce. Pretty interesting guy, pretty good interview. 312 texter weighs in. I hate texts like that, the one I previously read. All professional sports are expensive to attend in person. Why do people want to single out baseball? Labor negotiations are always contentious no matter who is involved. You buying that?
2: Uh, no, I don't, because uh, the other the other sports have salary caps where the, uh, the largest amount of revenues are split in a uh, percentage basis way, and and there is not the same contentious uh, situations any longer that were uh, involved with the NFL and the NBA uh, uh, and it, it's just and NHL the, the the salary cap solves it and. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy for them to know that they're getting a certain percentage of almost all of the revenue. In baseball, that's just not the way it's cut. It just doesn't happen that way.
1: 847 Texter, I think, speaks for a lot of people, Bruce. I'm 41 and unfortunately done with baseball. Too many petty rule changes and pace of game hypocrisy. Truth is, real baseball fans will stick around uh for four hours and not complain about it because we truly love the experience of the full game and a lot of media members and irrelevant fans have been crying about annually the notion that mlb is trying to cater to the younger crowds thinking they want shorter games and all of the rule changes soon will backfire as they will be missing out in daily ticket sales and viewer ratings from true baseball fans like me i'm done enjoy what's left of this former America pastime wow
2: well you know there's a lot of truth in what he says um it, the demographic is frightening to baseball owners and people who are in charge of the game because uh, the, the people that are uh, paying the most attention still and uh, people that are purchasing the products still are mostly in their 50s and above. Okay? That is a demographic issue that uh, radio stations, TV stations, and sports teams really concern themselves with. How do you get the millennials, how do you get the people with the new money to spend on sports and they have to find diverse ways of getting them to spend their money other than just coming out to the ballpark or book or buying a cable package.
1: Do you feel like if February twenty eighth is that that deadline and we do get an agreement as as you seem to be indicating and I think a lot of people you know think it's coming inevitably are you wondering about what effect that will have? And, and we're not going to know this for a while. But like the the health of pitchers, the the quality of play, there's always going to be maybe a mental asterisk attached to the first half of this season because we have had no off season, and whether it's players changing. Uh, teams or, you know, th- th- there's a, there's a physical toll with the, you know, again, concerns with pitchers. There's got to be a mental toll as well. These players adjusting to new homes, getting everything done. They're not going to be at their best. They're not going to be kind of in rhythm until I mean, indefinitely. So Bruce, is it that going to affect the quality of play and the competitive balance?
2: Look, David, people uh, forget history very quickly in 2020 in the shortened season after uh, spring training 2.0, we had a tremendous rash of injuries because they only took three and a half weeks before they went back, and uh, it wasn't long enough for the pitchers. You had a lot of pitchers that were hurt, but more importantly, a lot of them that were ineffective for a long period of time, and really never really good pitchers that never got it together. So, you know, the neither side I think is really listening to history here. You need a month at the very least for pitchers to be ready, and you're going to need expanded uh, rosters to start the season of at least three pitchers. Uh, Forget about players. Position players can be ready easily in a month, but you're going to need three pitchers extra, uh, to start the season because of the fact that you're not going to want to rush your top pitchers into a season where they've only had three and a half weeks to get ready or four tops. So 28th is a big date because of this, David, uh, 28th to the 31st of, of, uh, of March gives them those four weeks. So even though there's only three weeks of spring training games, that that's not essential. What's essential is that they start throwing in camp with with coaches, with trainers, and get themselves prepared by for at least a month of uh, throwing the baseball before they go out there and compete in regular season games.
1: That's really well put and great points, Bruce, but really I didn't hear anything after you criticized my memory. You said I have a bad memory now. I don't remember
2: 2020. No, I'm saying people do, uh, David. I, I think I think your memory is uh, relatively good for your age. Well, I remember now that we have Bob Kendrick coming up, the
1: president of the Negro Leagues Museum. It is Black History Month. We will talk to Bob when we come back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio six seventy The Score. Welcome back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio six seventy The Score. David Hall, Bruce Levine here until eleven o'clock. We're talking baseball. We're talking the issues of the work stoppage bruce is fascinating to look at we invited uh, callers and texts 312-644-6767 and 815 with another text i think is interesting for the record i've never heard anyone but, but rob manfred complain about the length of games longer the fans are in the stands equals more revenue good point
2: yep it is a good point and uh look um do we want faster games um i guess my, my my concern is more exciting games, okay? I think I think if you have ball in play more, which has not even been talked about since december uh, and and the real issues of the game right now, which is making the game more palatable to uh, to people more interesting to people, uh, th- those are those are the issues I'm most concerned about. the fact that the game uh, went back up to, I think 35 percent, three true outcomes last year, three true outcomes: strikeout, walk, home run. 35 percent of all action are those outcomes, which create no, uh, no movement by players, no uh, no real uh, interest other than oohs and ahs of watching a ball fly out of the ballpark, a strikeout or a walk. So this this is a huge problem for baseball, and they're not addressing it. Uh, they're they're not addressing it to my satisfaction at this point, uh, n- not the length of the game, but the inaction of the game is what's really hurting baseball. In my opinion, we will
1: continue to see uh, what you think about the work stoppage and some of the other opinions and issues keeping us from getting uh, labor peace. But we will now go to the Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas Hotline, home of the world's largest sports book, and that is where we find the president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City. His name is Bob Kendrick. Bob, welcome to Inside the Clubhouse. Thanks for joining us.
3: Oh, guys, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I have to admit, I was chuckling uh, as I was waiting in the queue to come online with you guys, because that view of the game and how it's played uh, is something that I've been lamenting quite some time, and I know that Saber metrics and analytics and all this kind of stuff plays such a great role. But, man, we got to see the ball put in play. And, and I've always said, if, if you give me something I want to see, I'll sit there all day and watch it. Right. And, and so we can take a page from the Negro Leagues, uh, in my opinion, in terms of how the game is played. But that's a whole other thing. Y'all didn't call to talk to me about that. But I did. I did hear that as I was waiting to come on.
2: Bob, Bruce Levine here. It's a pleasure having you on with, uh, with me and David. And uh, I first want to compliment you on a series that runs on XM And, it, and it's, it's an intriguing and it's fascinating and it's historical, uh, your, your show, Black Diamonds. Uh, tell us a little bit about that show and, uh, and how, uh, how people can, can check in on it. Because it, it's, it's been uh, riveting to me to listen to your interviews on that show.
3: Oh, thank you so much. Uh, Sirius XM approached me last year about the notion of doing a podcast. They they came to me and said, Bob, we think you're a pretty good storyteller. We love to build a podcast platform for you and the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And we went through a litany of names and we ultimately landed on Black Diamonds. I had no idea, guys, what I was getting myself into, but I also had no idea that it would grow in popularity the way that it has. Um, we've built a new generation of fans who are falling in love with these untold stories of the Negro leagues. And uh, it's been exciting to see. And, and so, yeah, each week, you know, we're on hiatus now. We'll start the, we'll start the podcast back in April, but each week we basically look at different topics relative to the Negro leagues or teams or players or circumstances, situations, and, We we contemporize it by bringing in guests who can relate back to what we're sharing. And we've just had a really good time, you know, telling these stories. And and some of these stories are stories that my friend Buck O'Neill shared with me years ago, but Buck has been gone now for 15 years. And so there's this kind of reviving of some of those stories and then the content that is there at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum makes perfect fuel for the, these kinds of opportunities. And we're having a good time with it.
1: Bob, this is a broad question, but you know it's Black History Month. And I think this is when you take a step back and you look at the big picture of things and you evaluate progress that has been made and, and how far there still is to go. At the beginning of the 2021 season, opening day, there were 7% of players on rosters that were, were black players. That's down from a high of 18.7% in 1981. So I'm asking you, as the president of the Negro Leagues Museum, somebody who deals with these issues on a daily basis, how is Major League Baseball doing in getting more opportunities or making the game more accessible and appealing to young black
2: kids?
3: Well, the great thing about it, guys, is that Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball's Players Association understand that this is an issue that has to be addressed because that was the first step. And I think that's part of the reason why the relationship with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and both sides of our business of baseball has also evolved because they, too, understand that if we're going to effectively move the needle on the other side of those alarming statistics that you just shared, it starts with the history. For me, baseball is the most aspirational of all the sports. You have to see yourself. And the way the game is today, our kids don't see themselves, and again, you alluded to the pace of the game and everything that we love about our game in some senses are things that have actually hurt our game. You know, we love the tradition. Baseball is a tradition-rich sport. That's one of the things that we've always loved about our game. But one of the things that has hurt our game is its tradition. And, and so we're going to have to add a cool element to our to our game if we really want to appeal to young people. Obviously, we're working diligently to bridge the economic gap that has kept a lot of kids away from our game. Our game was once a blue-collar sport. It is now a country club sport in the way that it is played and everything in and around it from an infrastructural standpoint that makes it very challenging for for kids to play this game. And so we're working diligently to try and, and bridge that economic gap. But I I can't understate the value of seeing yourself. And so when kids walk into the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, they see people who look just like them, who played this game as well as anyone ever played this game. But guys, not only did they play the game, they owned teams. They were managers. They were coaches. They were traveling secretaries. They were team physicians. They fulfilled every role you could fulfill within the business of the game of baseball as well. And, And I think that is really important and so Hopefully the relationship with the museum will just continue to evolve. We'll continue to collectively try and deal with a solution. We know what the problem is. Now it's about finding a solution. And, and I can tell you, that, you know, the one thing that we are as a society, or I should say the one thing that we are not as a society, is patience. We're not patient. We live in a microwave society. We want everything instantaneously. And, and there's nothing instant about our game. And so what we're starting to see slowly but surely is the minor leagues a little bit more populated with black players. More black players are being drafted. And the, the the form for them are becoming more visible uh, and scouts are maybe a little bit more in tune than what they were before. And so as we see the, the minor leagues more populated, I think we can start to look and effectively see a timetable when we'll start to see these numbers slowly but surely increase. But we've got a lot of work to do in terms of how we market our game to make it more appealing
2: to, uh, young urban kids, Bob, uh, you know, a hundred percent on, on what you just said. And, and also being able to show your athleticism in a game that, that has very little movement these yes. days, right. uh, is, yes. it's gotta be a key. I mean, in, in my mind, if, if a, a, a young kid out there says, Hey, I mean, Tim Anderson said four years ago, baseball is boring. Now, Tim Anderson is one of the uh, focal points of Major League Baseball. He's he's an energizer. He's a guy that people yes, consider yes. a new wave player. But when someone like that says, "Hey, it was boring to me," uh, and you know, he, we know his background was as a basketball player. That, that that's that's a bit of an issue to to get people involved in uh, baseball being an athletic game once again.
3: Yeah, well, that's what we hope that for me. And I'm I guess Bruce, I'm old school because I for me. Tim is not necessarily a new age player. Tim is a throwback to the Negro leagues. He, Kim could have played in the Negro leagues because that's how they played the game. I posted something the other day, guys, where Andrew Root Foster, Chicago, is Chicago American Giants. Root Foster ordered eleven straight bunt in a game. We might not see eleven bunt in a season.
2: <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> And, and you, see, uh, you see a manager get fired, of, for sure.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. He had all these athletes. You know, you got these thoroughbreds, and you got to turn them loose. So I go back and I think about the success of our 2014-2015 Kansas City Royals. And we had these athletes on this team, and it took a minute. And somebody said, you know what, let's turn these athletes loose. And then they started doing things, they started stealing bases, they put players in motion and these kinds of things, and your interest is automatically locked in now. You know, when when you can steal a base, and everybody in the stadium knows you're going to steal that base or try to steal that base, and they don't know what pitch you're going on. There's a level of anticipation that comes along. And I, and I go back and I, re- I reflect on one particular play, the year that we won the World Series in 2015, and Lorenzo Cain, we're at the K, Lorenzo Cain against the Toronto Blue Jays. Lorenzo Cain's on first base. Eric Hosmer hits a single. And Low Cain scores from first on a single. And, y'all, when he hit that little pop-up slide at home plate, the, the entire stadium went crazy. You know, that's what we we miss in our game again. You know, I understand the the home run and, and you were talking about it the strikeouts. The strikeouts are really so troublesome because when you're striking out that many times, there's no action going on at all. No one's involved in anything. And, you know, I, I know the analytics say, well you got all these power arms and that kind of thing. And it's hard to move the line and I just don't buy that. <clears throat> I absolutely don't buy that. And and so I hope that we can get back to that style, at least at that style. We may not completely get back But add that style that was so much a part of the Negro Leagues, and it drew fan interest, or as my friend Buck O'Neill would say, you couldn't go to the concession stand, man, because you might miss something you ain't (laughs) never seen before.
1: That's great. Joined by Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City here on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. And, Bob, you mentioned and Bruce referenced Tim Anderson. And I think when you look at guys who are committed to changing the game, if you will, Tim Anderson is at the top of the list. And for these numbers to change and for progress to be made, I think you know young kids need images. They need role models that, the, they, that inspire them in a way that I think Tim Anderson inspires so many kids, whether it's on the south side or throughout baseball. Just wonder, I remember Tim Anderson talking about visiting – Kansas City when they're playing the Royals, visiting the museum, and and I think even having conversations with you. When you look at Tim Anderson yes. specifically, what is the what is the potential of the impact he can have not only in Chicago but across baseball as as a you know a, a face uh, of the game, uh, somebody who is changing the game just by his charisma.
3: Yeah, and 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 Tim is a breath of fresh air, and and. Daryl Boston brought him by early on in his career, and he's been coming back to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum ever since. He and his wife uh, brought a group of Chicago-area kids to the museum to experience that in Kansas City barbecue and go to a game. And for many of them, it was the first time they'd been on an airplane before. And that's the impact that Tim is having both on and off the field. He gets it. He is a very in-tune young man who understands the platform that he has. But you're right. He has the potential to be one of those players who can become the face of this game. And the energy, passion, and charisma that he brings to the game is something that I think we sorely miss in our sport. It may rub some people wrong, which I don't understand why it does. But it seemingly does from time to time. Um, But it harkens me back to the days of the Negro Leagues. Back then, the Major League players would accuse the Negro Leaguers of showboating. You know, a guy went in the hole, dove, flipped it behind his back, started to double play the Major League, and said, oh, they just showboating. But I go back again to something that Buck O'Neill would say to me, guys, he'd say, well, number one, if you got something to show, show it. Number two, it's only showboating when you can't do it. And, and so... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And so, you know, we need more of that in our game. You know, this whole ideology of the right way to play the game, man, you know, that's, that's just as old as antiquated. It hurts our game, in my opinion. Now, the traditionalist probably feels a little bit different than I do about that. But I'm immersed every day in an environment where they played the game at a pace and speed that was just entirely different
2: than the way that they played the game in the Major League. Bob, uh, I believe uh, Black History Month is every month in uh, professional sports in the United States. So uh, February or not, uh, you have a a special situation going on for the the last uh, few days, including the whole month. Uh, The city of Kansas City, in conjunction with you, have worked to uh, give free admission. Talk a little bit about... Uh, the museum, which is still one of my favorite places I've ever been. Uh, I, I had the greatest day ever in 2011 when I came to your museum, spent three hours there, and then went to the Harry S. Truman, uh, uh, you know, presidential museum, uh, yes, and, and yes. spent the rest of the day there. Kansas City is a beautiful place, Bob.
3: No, it's a it, uh, it's a great town. We I love Kansas City the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is certainly one of the many great features of our city. And you're right for the Kansas City Royals and Royals charities to basically make the museum available to any and everyone through the entire month of February free. This is unprecedented. This is the first time that a corporate or business partner of the museum has ever done something like that. And and I can tell you, PEOPLE HAVE REALLY RESPONDED TO THIS VERY GENEROUS OFFER THAT THE ROYALS AND ROYALS CHARITIES uh, PUT FORTH. AND that WE'RE SEEING HUGE NUMBERS COME TO THE MUSEUM THIS MONTH SPECIFICALLY. IT WILL CONTINUE TO HELP KEEP THE MUSEUM ON TOP OF MIND FOR LOCALS. Uh, I THINK WE'VE DONE SUCH A GREAT JOB IN TERMS OF HELPING CREATE A NATIONAL PROFILE FOR THE MUSEUM. IF PEOPLE COME IN LIKE YOURSELF, BRUCE and they'll come in and visit the museum. But like most attractions, you always want to try and energize and mobilize your local base to do the same thing. It's rare that we become tourists in our own city. And and so this has kind of helped spark interest and gotten a lot of local people to get up and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go and visit the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and I'm going to bring my family down to experience it and what an experience it is, you know, through the work that we do every single day, you not only watch how a group of athletes who had been excluded from our game in a mainstream way kind of come together and say, okay, you won't let me play with you, I create my own. And they created a league that was so dynamic that it actually outdrew many major league teams in this country. But more importantly, their passion for this game, their love of this game, not only changed our game, but really what we demonstrate to you is that it helped change our country for the better. And so as we prepare to celebrate and commemorate the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's breaking of the color barrier this year, it is important that people understand that Jackie didn't just walk out on the field with the Brooklyn Dodgers, because I think a lot of people just assume that Jackie came out of nowhere and joined the Brooklyn Dodgers. Jackie's real rookie season was here in Kansas City in 1945. And that's something that, civically, our city should be tremendously proud of that it played a role in giving America one of its greatest heroes. So you cannot tell the story of the integration of our sport without Kansas City and without the Negro Leagues, because that is where it all began. And so all of this is rolled into this wonderful story of these courageous athletes who, when it's all said and done, guys, they just wanted to play ball. They had no idea they were making history. They didn't care about making history. They just wanted to play ball.
2: Great Bob, stuff, Bob. A, Thank you so much a, for your time. It's a great pleasure having you on, and uh, keep up all your great work there. And look forward to seeing you on the road soon.
3: Hey, guys. Uh, it is my pleasure. Thank you all so much for having me.
1: Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, talking about the importance of of uh, of increasing the access to the game for young black kids and just seeing changes in the game progress is being made as he alluded to and and that's a great the uh, great trip if you can make it down in kansas city
2: absolutely david and uh we have uh, a lot more coming up here especially uh, jared banner of the cubs uh and then Ken David off. Uh, yeah, we have a lot more to do here on Inside the Clubhouse.
1: A lot more to come, including hearing from one of the game's great characters. Jack McDowell was on this radio station this week and you want to hear what Black Jack had to say about the lockout and more. We we will talk about that when we come back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio six seven <laughs> Welcome back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio six seventy the score. David Hall, Bruce Levine here until eleven o'clock, big hour ahead. Jared Banner from the Cubs, Director of Player Development at the top of the hour. Uh, Ken Davidoff from the New York Post talking about the lockout at the bottom. And, Bruce, we just heard from Bob Kendrick from the uh, Negro Leagues Museum. A lot of good reactions on the text line uh, about that visit, saying that 708, thank you for having this person on again. I gave $100 last year to the museum when I heard him on your show, and I am giving again today. Uh, just an inspiring guy with a lot of charisma and a, and a rich history and heritage that he speaks very well of.
2: Yeah, and we we should put we should make it known that uh, Negro, Negro Leagues Museum is a nonprofit, so uh, you know th- this is a tax deductible uh, organization that you can uh, help support and uh, and also uh, take advantage of that uh, tax break at the end of the year. So it's terrific uh, win win I think all the way around for. Uh, the the real baseball fan out there, the person that uh, would like to see uh, baseball continue to progress in a lot of inclusive areas.
1: Fascinating question posed by 312 Texter. What impact would Tim Anderson winning a world series MVP have on attracting black youths to baseball?
2: (laughs) Well, it would have a certain, a strong impact in Chicago. I'll tell you that much. I mean, uh, I think he's already had a strong impact, but uh, Tim uh, transcends, um, Uh, race as far as I'm concerned I think he's just an exciting baseball player that speaks his mind and is a player of the modern era that uh, I think fans are drawn to because he's not afraid to uh, look at the game in a different way play it a different way sometimes and also speak his mind I think it's you know it's totally refreshing to watch him go about his business.
1: Speaking of White Sox players who like to speak their mind Jack McDowell did it as well as anybody. And uh, it was as fascinating as any White Sox players put on a uniform in, in this generation. He was on the Parkinson Spiegel show yesterday. It was a 28 minute interview. I would advise everybody to go to the Odyssey app and, and listen to that because it was compelling, Bruce. And we don't have enough time in this segment. We will get to it before the show is out uh, later next hour about what he had to say to just quickly, what was your initial reaction to hearing what Black Jack McDowell had to say yesterday?
2: It's Jack. Jack is Jack. He's always been a uh, in-your-face, uh, honest guy. He, he has opinions on things. Uh, some people think they're way out there. Uh, I, I always respected him. He's a well-thought-out guy. He's an intelligent guy. It was a, a, a lot of fun covering his career. And he would not be afraid to tell me where to get off at certain points. Uh, you know, like, uh, interview over, Bruce. You know, I mean, these are common things, Jack McDowell was a terrific competitor, a terrific pitcher, and an honest and straightforward guy. And we will hear some of that before we get out of here next
1: hour. But when we come back, Jared Banner is the Director of Player Development for the Chicago Cubs, and he will join us next. Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.